0: Welcome to Iteration, a weekly podcast about programming, development, and design through the lens of amazing books, chapter by chapter. My name is John, and I am joined, as always, by the amazing JP. Hey, JP.
1: Yo, how's it going?
0: It's going pretty good. I just got back from the mountains, two nights of backpacking up in beautiful, I don't know, even know where it was. It was somewhere in California in the forest, and it was pretty. Okay, nice. I just spent all weekend I- inside. <laughs> You know, Yeah, I, I worked all weekend, so I guess I didn't just get back. I got back like two days ago, but I feel like that was the biggest highlight of my week besides just a lot of code, which is always a good week.
1: Cool, sweet. Yeah, I spent, I spent the weekend uh, deep into this Swift book because I made a promise to myself that it wouldn't just be one of those things where I picked it up for like three weeks and then just dropped it. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to go full freight train on this Mac fanboy, Apple fanboy thing.
0: Nice. Awesome. So this week we are covering part one of chapter eight of the Pragmatic Programmer, and we're pretty much rolling to an end of this book. And it's got some awesome stuff to say. I feel like every chapter has been better than the last through most of it. And this one is all about teams. It's all about, it's titled Pragmatic Projects. It's about teams, automation, testing, documentation, code quality, and more. So without further chatter, you want to read off our tips we're going to be talking about today, J.P.? Yes.
1: Okay. So this is going to be tip 60 through 64. I think we have like a total of maybe 10 more. So here's tip 60. Tip 60 is organize teams around functionality. 61. Don't use manual procedures. 62. Test early. Test often. Test automatically. 63. Coding ain't done till all the tests run. 64, use saboteurs to test your testing. Nice. Okay, so the uh, the first tip is organize teams around functionality. And the big takeaway bullet point from this one is don't separate designers from coders, testers from data modelers. Build teams the way that you would build code. Um, so I have a note that I wrote down that's like, don't don't make them or it's a mistake to think that activities of a project such as analysis, design, coding, testing, you, you know, like even marketing, operations, like all you you shouldn't think that everything happens in isolation. Um and so that's like a big mistake and this like really uh brought to light the way that we work at Open Listings because when we work on a feature, it's not we don't have like a separation, and I think we do a good job of really collaborating with everyone that's on different teams. So for example, we're like revamping um, our offer flow, and so it's not just like you know it's not as if like the designers designed something, and then they just stopped touching it, gave it to our uh, team of three developers who's working on this new offers flow. And it's not like they're just working on it and then they're going to hand it off and then, you know, post on Slack, hey, we did this. And then all the people that are working, you know, in, like, marketing and operations and um, all the agents, it's not as if, like, we just ping them and say, like, hey, this is done now. You know, like, we had, like, a big meeting. Um, Everything was, like, broken down. And even though there is a sort of, like, design eventually hands something off to engineering, engineering eventually hands something off and deploys and, you know, releases a statement, but... Throughout that process, there's definitely a lot of communication between teams, and we're always like asking ourselves like does this improve our like Q3 goals? Are we actually doing something to like further our business goals and improve our our user experiences? And I think that is like a great way to actually get shit done, which is yeah. ultimately our goal.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So it sounds like though, you guys, as far as like titles and company structure over at open listings, you do have like a designer role and a developer role and a system admin role. Do you like have that kind of stuff or is everyone kind of a generalist and they're organized around like, you know, the reality side or the listing side? Like, is there that kind of a structure or is it kind of feature by feature? One person owns the full stack for that feature.
1: Right, no, no, there definitely is um separation there. It's not like everyone's a generalist. you don't have like okay. agents who are also designers, so we definitely sure. do <laughs> we definitely do have that separation for like different teams. but when it comes to like a um a certain feature of like our application that is like a q three goal for like every team, there's definitely a lot of collaboration that goes on to get it from like ideation to Um, to like actually shipping a feature, which is pretty cool.
0: Cool. That's really cool. And so, you know, it's not like a production line where it kind of just like continues down and t- starts with this person first and then the next person, the next person, and it just kind of ships out the customer. It poops at the end of the line. It's more of it's constantly cycling back to the rest of the team and back and forth. So practically though, I'm just curious, what does that look like? Is that like a lot of base camp pings or are you actually like looping other teams in onto GitHub issues or is it meetings? Like how does that collaboration happen on your team and is it working well for you guys?
1: Yeah, totally. So, I mean, we're always, like, trying to improve our process. So it's always, like, I think we had tips about this in the previous episodes where it was basically, like, hey, don't um, don't buy into the, like, Agile or Scrum or whatever. Like, those things are right. good as, don't like, skeletons. Don't be married to any
0: particular exactly. methodology.
1: So, like, always be iterating and improving your own process. But to answer your question, there are definitely, like, um, initial meetings where, you know, it's like this is what the Q3 goal is. And then sort of, like, how can we plan around this? And then each individual team, whether it's engineering or if it's design or if it's ops or if it's, like, marketing, they definitely have, like, their own sprints. So at some point, things do, like, split off. Um, but there's definitely, like, a lot of talking that happens in between. And and actually... Um, our GitHub, like everyone is on the GitHub, at least for the most part. So we do have like marketing people on the GitHub. We do have support people on the GitHub. We do have like ops people on the GitHub. And like, if we need to like get clarification on something, we can just ping them or like, you know, our office is relatively small. So it's, we can also just go up to them, go upstairs and be like, Hey, this is kind of weird. What's up with this?
0: Nice. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that this is really different than a lot of the kind of old guard of software development where it's like you had the company people up top and then you had the system designers and then it will hand it off to the next people and the next people. And it just kind of everybody, like I remember I was talking with a uh, developer friend of mine and he wasn't even allowed to talk to one of the other teams. So they had to have complete separation between the two teams and only the project manager could go between the two teams. So there was no collaboration at all on specific features because everybody was so married to their specific role or their specific skill set. And it wasn't necessarily that one person is owning a feature or owning kind of a module of the application. The way I try to work with people I work with is we're all, well, right now we're all doing rails work and we're all full stack. So it's kind of nice that one developer can fully own a feature and like, they've got that feature until it's done and we'll collaborate on it. Like, you know, they'll, open up a PR and then we'll talk about it back and forth and maybe I'll add some code to it. And, but ultimately like it's the person working on that feature who fully owns it all the way from, you know, the initial front end build all the way to deployment, you know? And I am setting all of the like requirements or mockups, but that person is owning that functionality, but it's, you know, we're only three people right now. So it's not like we, can like organize ourselves into like you know user facing or admin facing cuz i feel like a lot of teams are kind of organized like okay we're the we're the administrative interface team. We do everything that has to do with admin interfaces or like we're the finances team. I've talked with another developer who's like, all I do in this big web app is the finances part of it. I don't do anything else. I don't do any of the tasks or communication. All I do is finances. And I think that's a really good way to organize teams. And within like the finances team, they have everyone. They have a designer who's in charge and works with finances. They have a developer who's in charge with finances all the way down to QA and everybody. And I think that works really well when you have a larger team because you don't have have a single feature being passed to so many people like you have able to own that domain and understand it more deeply and serve those users of that niche better
1: yeah i think it's also a little different from you and i because even though i work at like a company we're still relatively small team we're no we're no like facebook and you as well with like You know, in many (laughs) ways, we're very, (laughs) in many ways, we have to be like very scrappy. We have to be like generalists. So it's a lot easier, I think, for there to be a lot of collaboration that goes on. Where I imagine it, there'd be a lot of like red tape if you worked at like, I don't know, a Facebook or a Google or an Amazon.
0: Yeah. I guess supposedly, I've read articles and blog posts that every developer at Facebook has the ability to push a feature. Oh, but dang. they have a really interesting like deployment structure. This is a little bit of a rabbit trail. They have a deployment structure where anyone on the team can deploy to like a tenth of a percent of users. But hmm. ultimately, that's like thousands or millions. I think it's hundreds of thousands of users is a tenth of a percent. But anybody can ship a feature to that percentage of people. Like literally, like you have push commit to that. But they're always running like. I think it's something like 600 different versions of Facebook on Facebook at any one time. Oh, so, I'm curious like, how that even works. But I've experienced some crazy bugs on Facebook, like where I tried to use a feature, but the other person couldn't. And like, I got a message to that effect. It was like, you're attempting to use a feature that's not enabled for the other user's account. And it was like, oh, oh this what the is heck? so weird. Yeah. So, but it's an interesting approach that they're trying to solve that by having the ability for anyone to deploy. I wouldn't want to have to deal with that system <laughs> ops. I couldn't imagine what that looks like serving billions of users. Good God.
1: I, I know. I bet there's like, and especially because, you know, they, at one point they were a young scrappy startup too. So I imagine there's parts of their code base where it's just like not the most fun to work with. And I can only imagine, you know, having 600 different permutations of one running web app is, is, is like absolutely there's bonkers. Do you any code that
0: Mark wrote still running? I wonder. Wow.
1: wow that's a good question. That's, pretty sick. I bet there's a comment in there somewhere deep inside. That's like, there's got to be one line out of all
0: that, all that code that's running. You could do a Git blame. If you work at Facebook, do a Git blame, see if there's anything still live <laughs> that Mark wrote. All right. You know, I don't know how they manage all that, but it, it obviously involves a lot of automation, which leads us perfectly into our next tip, which is tip 61. Don't use manual procedures. And I love this little story. I love the little stories in this book. So this is the quote for the book quote, at the dawn of the age of automobiles, the instructions for starting a Model T Ford were more than two pages long. With modern cars, you just turn the key. The starting procedure is automatic and foolproof, unquote. So, like, the idea here is you shouldn't need instruction manuals and giant READMEs, and you shouldn't have to do a lot of tedious work to open a pull request or deploy. Like, we should be automating absolutely everything we can. Like we're developers. Like why would we be doing (laughs) any tedious work or anything where it's like, oh, I have to go do this thing all by itself. And another quote from the book is, quote, a shell script or batch file will execute the same instructions in order time after time. Like get things into repeatable systems. There's so much we can jump into here. But uh, just, you know, the idea here is if you're doing something that feels tedious and you're doing it over and over, like stop and write a script, automate the hell out of that.
1: Yeah, I think this is why Docker is becoming really popular and it's something that I wish I spent more time like actually looking into. Um and I know Docker is something that we're trying to implement just because getting start started is it's hard for like any project because you know you have to account for so many different things in particular like let's say I just wanted to get a local instance of open listings running up and running for the first time. There's so many things that need to happen like let's say I get a fresh computer. First of all, I have to like install some kind of like Ruby version manager um, because you don't want to just like install two point three point one or whatever it is that we're using. I forget. And then, you know, and that's just like one part of it. You need to install Rails. You need to install like brew. You need to have like all these things. Um, And then not only that, like you have to like install these databases. And there's just so much variation that happens between machine to machine. Like I might be on a different version of OS, OS X, OS X. And so I think this is like the problem that Docker solves you know, if anyone's out there that's like, hey, that's not what Docker's for at all. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm fairly certain that it's like they have this idea of like containers and the container represents a very specific environment. So like I could have a container represent or like hold an environment that contains Ruby 2.4.0 with like Rails 5.2.0 and have like all the gems installed already and have all these things and have like a Mongo instance on there um, without having to do all of like the manual setup and then it would just be like started in that container and boom you're ready to go rails s that yeah
0: yeah absolutely I I think that that's super interesting and I think it's really important when you have a really big team to make sure that no matter what machine you're running what version of Mac OS X or whatever update Apple pushes like it's not going to break your shit Um, it was totally revolutionary on my projects when I just started doing a setup script so Mm -hmm. like Rails has this convention of dot bin slash setup and you just put a bunch of executables in there and it was so revolutionary because I know that everybody's going to run that bin setup script it's going to install all the gems like if you have Rails and you have a Ruby version manager like there is a couple prerequisites but from that point forward I know that we're at least all on the exact same starting point we have the same test data it loads up the fixture test data like it's the same you know functionality the same uses and it's running all those different scripts and like recently we started using um (coughs) excuse me we started using Search Kick, which is like kind of a search as a service that does like really advanced indexing for like sloppy search and things like that. And it's a great tool and it's been working amazing for us. Um, but it really is odd cause you have to like re-index things, but right there in the bin setup, like it reads and re-indexes all the test data. So basically like every time I sit down to write something, or review a PR, like I'm running that bin setup takes like a minute and a half. Everything's all set up. And I know I'm looking at it the exact same way that the other developer was looking at it, but most frameworks out there have something like that, that is You can run really simply. It's not even a product. Like Docker is a whole product in itself and a whole world in itself. But there's a lot of conventions here that are these setup scripts. Or just write a Ruby script that sets something up even for something else or a difference. Whatever language is most comfortable for you. Just to, like, load up the test data, set up your environment, do those couple checks that you do every time. Just start doing this over and over. And, you know, I've even taken this out into some other things. Like uh, one of my picks a couple weeks ago was Text Expander. And, um, you know, even something like that, like where I'm constantly writing the same emails over and over, like I've extracted a lot of this into just templates that run. So there's a lot that we can do to just save a lot of time. I I noticed JP on another project you were working on, uh, that, that I'm on the repo for that you started doing like GitHub templates. So every time you open a new GitHub issue, like it has a template loaded up. I didn't even know that feature existed. That's such a good time saver and such a good double check. Like, are we asking all the right questions is all the right information there?
1: Dude, I didn't know about that either until open listings. And I was like, why is it that every time I submit a PR or open a new issue, it like has this thing already? And then I was like, oh sure enough, it's this like dot GitHub invisible dot file thing. It's like so cool.
0: <laughs> and it like yeah, enforces you to have all cool. the
1: all the requirements that you might need in a PR. It's awesome.
0: I was playing with Bitbucket and they had something like that. So I guess it's been over there for a while, but GitHub has it, but it's just kind of hidden. Just Google like GitHub templates. It's such a great little tool. It was awesome. But anything that's you're doing that's manually and tedious over and over, you know, a great example is I was constantly like once a week, I would sit down with my clients and I would manually write up an email. I would kind of have one screen of GitHub open and my other screen of an email. And I would look through all the recent merges of per- pull requests. And I would kind of write a summary of work that's been completed the last week because we usually merge everything over the weekends. And so every Monday I would sit down and do this. It would take me an hour and a half every Monday just to like take the tech jargon that was in the pull requests and communicate that to all my clients across all the projects I managed to like, let them know what's been done the last week. But what I actually did is I actually just used the GitHub API in all my projects. I wrote this little Ruby script that actually on my projects, if you're logged in, you can just click on a certain URL and there's a change log. And that change log is actually pulling in all of the GitHub markdown from the pull requests, And it's all there, and so it has images, it has screenshots, and it's pushing everyone on the team to write their PRs and all the PR documentation in really plain English. Cause I'm like, Hey, non-technical people are going to be reading this. And then at the bottom, if there's any technical notes or requirements, we still put them in there, but it really forces us all to communicate in a way that's really natural and to think in a way that's simple. And I think that that's important. Even when explaining a PR from one developer to another, it's good to use language your users would use. So there's a lot of sub tips in there, but the bottom line is, is I took this entire process Of this tedious thing of just looking up recent pull requests and communicating that to my client. Now they actually have a button in their interface that is just asynchronously handled from the GitHub issues and from the GitHub pull requests. And we've done that with GitHub issues too. You can open up a new GitHub issue from any of my projects and you can view the outstanding GitHub issues from any of my projects. So as the end client, if I'm logged in as an admin, I see all the outstanding code issues, the priority of them. I can submit new code issues and I can see all the recent changes that have been deployed. And even like the pending changes, that's how they're listed. Like the open PRs are listed on their platform as a pending change to the platform. And so that took out, you know, hours and hours of time a month for me. And it's just a couple little scripts. It probably took me two hours to write this all up and get it tweaked in. And now I never have to do that again.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's like a, a really good use of like automation. And I'm, I'm sure there was like a point in time where you're just like, why am I repeating this? This is like, I can just <laughs> like write a script for this. Like <laughs> I'm definitely smart enough to just make this easier on myself. Recently, um, I was pretty proud of myself. I wrote a little Ruby script to make it easier to have consistencies with like my Vim dot files, because like I'd like download a package on my work machine, and then I'd like oh now my Vim's like inconsistent on my like personal computer. So oh. I wrote this like really nifty. I'm very proud of it. It's like just a Ruby script that like will install things, and every time I decide to run it, it will like just like blow out all the plugins, re-download them um, if I if I so choose, and and like just install all of my config that I want, and it will use like. It will use like the vimrc file that's on my GitHub, um, so that I don't have to worry about like having a different vimrc. I don't know, just like little things like that are, you know, make, make our lives a lot easier. I think I think it's cool.
0: It reminds me too of a convention that uh, Thoughtbot has. They have a, on the Thoughtbot repo, which they're a really awesome Rails shop. They do other development work too, but on the repo, so uh, GitHub.com/thoughtbot/laptop, and they have something just called laptop. And basically, like, it's just this little repo you can download, and you run it as a Ruby script, and it just sets up your machine to the development standards of their corporate like of their companies so like if you, you're you on the thoughtbot team you just run this little script and it'll just set up your machine the way that they would recommend so it installs vim it installs brew like it installs all this different stuff to just get you all set up and that was like a great convention and an example of just leveraging automation like why would you have to sit for hours and figure this shit out like we're developers go write a script and i love the one that you wrote that that's totally another great example
1: okay let's uh talk about this next one tip 62 Test early, test often, test automatically. And it's um, a little sub-quote thing here is, tests that run with every build are much more effective than tests, test plans that sit on the shelf. And there's this, um, sm- there's this like, in the small talk world, I, you know, we, we have mentioned small talk a few times. I don't even know what small talk looks like. Anyways, <laughs> in the small talk world, they say, code a little, test a little. And so it's the idea of like getting small incremental wins and moving um, at an incremental pace. So you code a little bit, you test a little bit, you code more, you test more, instead of doing something like coding a bunch and then trying to test those things, because then you definitely you definitely are like just going the golden path, I think I think yeah. it's easier to fall into that trap. Um, and like this makes me so thankful for things like Circle CI that run on our repository that just like have that continuous integration to like always be running your tests because it's very easy to just ship a feature and not run your test suite. And you know, so that's kind of nice. Speaking of which I get so many circle CI ads. I don't even know how that happened, but lately on YouTube, all of my ads are circle CI and they're
0: like a minute long. It's like, circle I get CI follows constantly me constantly on YouTube too. I think it's because I went to their site one time. I, what's worse is I actually like made an account. Like, what do they want from me? <laughs> my like, tests are already failing. It's like,
1: they're, the, they're following me everywhere. YouTube. <laughs> hey, your tests are failing.
0: Yeah, they should uh, open ads specifically whether or not your tests are passing and failing. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what the point would be. They're just wasting money. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with this tip. The t- to test early, test often, test automatically. It's frustrating that all those continuous integration tools, unless you kind of roll your own, are really expensive. Um, they get really expensive really quick, unfortunately. But you know, um, even on my local machine, every time I deploy, you know, tests run. Every time we open a PR, you got to have the test percentage coverage, and it has to go up every PR. So it's fun. Like even if it goes up 0.2, the test coverage always has to increase on. Every PR, like that's one of the rules that we have in kind of the org that we do. And it's been awesome doing that and having the test coverage just like slowly eke up like from 75, now it's up to like 82%. And it's like, at some point it'll just get very close. It'll get ever, ever close to a hundred. I feel like, which is really cool. Um, and we've talked about this before, but writing tests early help guide your design. And if a test is painful to write, then think through your domain design more. Like it'll really help you be more articulate and come up with better abstractions. Like Sandy Metz says, the wrong abstraction is worse than no abstraction. And so take the time to really think through those. That's the quote, right? I hope so. I hope I'm not doing no, that.
1: No, that's definitely a quote. I don't. I, I I was thinking of a different quote that I thought you were going to say, which is duplication is a lot better than the wrong abstraction. There's that too, which is like oh, what maybe I live that, by Maybe
0: now. I'm merging. Maybe it's a love child of two great Ruby people. <laughs> All right, that leads us into the next tip. Coding ain't done until all the tests run. This one has, like, such a good, like, coding ain't done until the tests ain't run. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I apologize. Yeah, and so this really section was just, like, all the tests. So your unit, your integration, performance testing, staging, usability, QA, you want all the tests to run. So what they're saying is, like, you can't – you shouldn't be sleeping at night as a developer and be confident until you have that entire test packet all run, and you've got those tests running, and that they make sense. That's kind of what I got out of it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, this whole idea of thinking about the completion of a project has, in my mind, has shifted a lot since I started open listings because I came from a place that didn't have any tests. So if I wanted to ship something, I would just be like, hey, can you click on a few buttons, to make sure that it's like good, you know? There's no formal testing. Excuse me. But like, but now, you know, I have to like commit my feature branch and, you know, wait for circle CI to finish and whether or not those tests are green is just like step one, because let's say they are green. I still have to get like my code reviewed and I still have to get it QA. would And so like a feature isn't done until you can like get through the whole process of things. And that all starts with all of your tests running. Um, because like realistically, I'm not going to have those tests run locally before I submit it because that would just be like a, a monster. And there's like copy bar tests and like the, the Chrome Selenium web driver compatibility is like <laughs> so for, some, slow. for some reason fucked up on the yeah. version that we're on. Uh, but yeah, and it's very slow. So it's like I'll just have that run in the background while I work on something else. Yeah. But Yeah.
0: It's been good. Lately I've been scoping projects into like modules and I'm sure we'll talk about this more in future episodes cuz I'm getting so much from it. But I'm able to test a specific section of code. So, let's say I make a change within like the participant model, I can test everything that touches participants, everything that uh you know uh, inherits from a participant. And so, locally I will just kind of run that or like while I'm working on it. You know, Because you know, I want to be running it while I'm writing the tests and while I'm building the feature and make sure it's working. But then when I'm all done before submitting, then I run the whole thing and do some push-ups or go make some coffee. Because my test suites are now starting to take like four or five, six minutes now, and they're starting to get – I can just see it's going to start going exponentially higher. I know here I'm complaining about four or five, six minutes. When you're, <laughs> when you're trying to like do work and run the test and test early and test often and making sure your coding ain't done to all the tests run, like to – use both these tips, it can be really painful to wait that four minutes and feel like you're doing nothing. And so that's why it's been good to just kind of scope it to the specific suite of section of tests that I'm working on. So it's like, okay, I get a good 10 second run through those different things. So
1: yeah, definitely. When I'm testing like a rails feature, I'll definitely, Oh, I mean, obviously I'm not going to be shipping code without tests anyways. So I'll like just test that file. Um, the cool part about javascript land is that we have like webpack running and we have like jest and so jest can tell what files were changed and so you can run the tests automatically based on a couple different specifications so i can do it based on the files that changed i could do it um just based on um like since my last commit like just those files since my previous commit and i could do it with a regex i can do it with all these different things that's cool Um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. I can
0: probably I, do some of that in Minitest. I just don't know about
1: it. <laughs> yeah, I will say though that it's kind of annoying with Jest that I don't have as much control, or I, I'm sure I do. I just don't know how. But like for example, with um, with like Mini and Ruby, you know, I recently just found out that if you use Atom and you're not like a VS Code user, which it feels like everyone's starting to jump on the VS Code bandwagon. Seriously.
0: So you much can type.
1: Um, I'm sure there's, you for sure can do this in VS Code too, but with Atom, if you like shift click the, like the path, the bottom of your Atom um, thing, it will like copy it automatically to your clipboard. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really useful. I was, I've, this whole time I've been typing that out with like ZSH code completions, just tabbing through that. I was like, what am I I, I doing with my life? And then I found that out. Um, So obviously I do that with like line numbers, which is great. I wish you could do that with just easier. Um, And I just found out not recently, maybe a couple weeks ago, that if you pass in like dash N to your mini test test, you could type in a regex after that, and it will just run those uh, whatever like files match that regex. Wow.
0: That's a cool, that's a hot tip. I didn't know that one. I did know about copying the local path. And I think that VS Code does that too. It copies like the repository path so you can easily just run that one test. Mm-hmm. But I even have like I so I actually moved away from Text Expander because it costs money. And I realized that uh, I used Alfred, which is like a search thing on a Mac. But there's tons of tools like this for Linux. But it, within Alfred, there's a whole snippets library that's like just as powerful as Text Expander. So that's a hot tip. Don't pay for Text Expander, use Alfred. But uh, I have one that I do percent sign R and it does that whole like rake test test equals and gives me an open uh quote so like you could there's ways oh, you could nice. do that in alias too but it's nice to just have it and see it on screen and i feel like more and more for stuff that i find myself typing over and over and over i'm just making little aliases for them it's been super super nice <laughs> that goes back
1: to our whole like idea of like automating things because i definitely have al- some aliases that you know the way yeah you 're kind of right, like it 's nice to see the whole thing out there because aliases differ from computer to computer, yeah, and like i for me like r t is like rails test, so I just like r t and then like oh that 's copying the path name but you know, that like is kind of weird. Like if you're pairing with somebody and you type in RT, it's like, what the heck is RT?
0: Yeah, that's why I, I prefer like snippet libraries than I do aliases because I see it out on screen and I remember what it is because I'm not totally lost when I don't have my aliases. Um, I don't know. I, I, that's the way I've been approaching it. But I think that, you know, teach their own, as long as you're not using manually procedures and you're <laughs> automating all you can. So to jump into the last tip here, tip 64, use saboteurs to test your testing.
1: Oh right, I think that's me. Uh, 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 yes, so this is um, the concept of introducing bugs on purpose um, so that you can like see all the different permutations that you might not have caught. And so, like after you write a test uh, to find a particular bug, you know, make sure that you're like making that test fail on purpose or like introduce that bug in such a way that that test will like for sure catch it and say like, Hey, this is like, something's going wrong. Otherwise you're just getting a bunch, a bunch of like, uh, false positives.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I try to write the test so that it's red. And then when I fix the bug, it's green. That's like ideally you can do that. And also like write tests for negative states. I've been doing that as well. But this whole saboteurs thing too reminds me of – I've mentioned it in the past, but Netflix has the chaos monkey. And it's the, this team within Netflix that write these scripts that randomly pull down different servers and disconnect different servers. And so it you know ensures that their entire organization is really robust. It can handle server downtime downtime. And it can, uh, you know, pull in backup servers automatically and those types of things, which is just really smart and really cool. And I'm trying to think of like in my world, how I can do that kind of a thing. And I guess mostly it's about thinking about tests, not only in the golden path and not only writing the tests that I know will pass, but trying to think of if I was a user kind of trying to break this thing and hitting it a little bit harder what would i do you know and making sure to write tests that are a little bit more robust and even just in like in practical terms when just kind of clicking around and testing the software like really like okay what if i put in this what if i put in this try to hit the software a little bit harder and not just be so golden path and uh, you know this reminds me of i don't forget what book it was but um you know, the concept of a user shouldn't be able to do anything wrong. So ultimately, mm-hmm. like it shouldn't matter what a user puts in an input or how many times they click a button. Like that's not the user's fault. Ultimately, your system should be able to retain that. And your system should be designed in such a way that it fails elegantly. So try to bring it down and make sure you're testing against even the most extreme cases and sometimes.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like an interesting tip because it's like, how are you gonna cause the bug if you're you're like preventing it from even happening in the first place. I guess it's like you would put the guard down and then see if the bug like makes shit
0: break. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I think like some people hire pen testers, like penetration testers, like security experts. And like that's a way of using a saboteur to test your testing or. You know, maybe it's even just pushing your QA team to push you harder on things. And maybe they're throwing little PHP snippets into your form to see if they can screw up your <laughs> WordPress site. Like maybe stuff like that to see what they can do and see if you have any vulnerabilities, those types of things. Not only for security, just for reliability as well. So that's another one. So I'm going to mm-hmm. rattle off through the tips this week. It was 60, organize teams around functionality, 61, don't use manual procedures. 62, test early, test often, test automatically. 63, coding ain't done till all the tests run. 64, use saboteurs to test your testing.
1: Word. Should we get into picks?
0: Yeah, let's do it.
1: Nice. I'm excited about mine because it's definitely relevant to the idea of not using manual procedures. Yes, so, yeah, so is
0: mine. <laughs> we both pick things that are so similar. I love it.
1: So my pick is this uh, package called Husky, which is an NPM package it's like atm machine it's an npm package um, so what husky does is it allows you to run like scripts before your commits are actually committed to like github or to git and so it's like um i don't want to butcher it so let's go to their website really quick and see what they're like uh, so tag it doesn't is. allow
0: the code to leave your machine before these skip- scripts run um, the way we have it
1: set up at open listings is that when I hit, you know, Git add or whatever, Git commit. So as soon as I hit Git commit, we have a Husky script that like runs. And so like the Husky script is checking to see if I have any like prettier mistakes. If I have any RuboCop mistakes, if I have any like linting errors, if I have, and yeah, so just those three things, basically just like linting. Um, mm-hmm. and my commit won't go through for those files that fail those. So like, let's say I have like, a dangling comma for, for example, in JavaScript, you know, Husky will be like, Hey, you have a dangling comma in Ruby. Don't do that. Um, and then, so like everything that passed will get committed. And then everything that doesn't pass is still in the staging area. So if you have like, you know, visuals, like the ones that do pass are like green and the ones that don't pass are just like not committed. And obviously you can like bypass that. And it's not just for like linting though, because I had it. Um, I was just, like playing with it to get it set up with like testing as well. Um so like on the WizTutor mobile app repository, like the test suite's small enough that yeah. like when I commit, um I can like run the whole test suite for this like React Native app. Now I don't have it so that it like prevents you from committing in that instance, mm-hmm. but I'm sure you could. Like so you can definitely have a thing if your like code base is small enough to like don't commit until all the tests are green, which I think is kind of a cool thing. I mean, obviously there's like tools like Circle CI that, you know might be a better solution for that, but I think it's still a pretty cool option.
0: I like it too, because it's roll your own. You own it. It's not a service. You don't depend on something external, and it's not creating the GitHub noise. So... I'm going to jump into my pick, which is called Hound CI. And all it does is style guide violations. But basically, what it does is you set up like a RuboCop style guide or different style guides. With different oh, languages. nice. It supports a few, but mostly it's for Ruby on Rails guys. And basically, once you open a PR, it just opens comments as Hound and it says, hey, you know, you, you know, all types of whatever linting errors there may be, you know, you have inconsistent tabbing or, or spacing, uh, you know, you have, you know, a hanging comma, like you said, or whatever a different, like you to use, you know, uh, is equals equals to zero instead of dot zero question mark, like those types of style guide violations. And it comments on them all in line. Right. And I, it has been fantastic. We've been running it for about two weeks now, and it's great to just have everybody on the same page and have that there. Um, but, the unfortunate part is it does all get committed, which is good and bad because I know it's off everybody's machine and it's like backed up. It's up in the cloud, like the continuous work. But at the same time, it's a lot of, it can be a lot of GitHub noise. It's like, I know they're going to get to it and I know they're going to address those things, but it's nice because it continues to push the code quality up. And I just think this idea in general of a system and organizational wide linting and style guide is a huge time saver. And I would highly, highly recommend it if you don't have it, even just for yourself to get in that practice, to have that double check, something like Hound or something like a Husky. They're both like dog names, which is kind of funny actually.
1: <laughs> yeah they're like th- they're like tagline on github is husky can prevent bad com- git commit git push and more so you can even prevent you from pushing which is kind of cool well thanks for listening we will see you
0: guys next week sweet